A warm welcome to the Top Order podcast and a very happy new year to listeners all around the world. It's January the 1st here in sunny New Zealand. We've got heaps of cricket to talk about coming up on the show. We've got a little bit of BBL. We've got some recap of the South Africa Sri Lanka series, ICC teams of the decade, and also the coverage going on both TV and radio of the Black Caps home summer. We're also, of course, going to talk Australia, India, the New Zealand Pakistan series, and heaps, heaps more. All coming up on the Top Order podcast. So we'll start with this week in cricket. Board are going to come to you for a bit of BBL. Absolutely. Happy New Year, everyone. Arrivederci to 2020. Welcome to 2021. It's already a far better year, I can guarantee you, of that. For those of you who have yet to experience January 1 and all its glory, welcome to 2021. BBL, it's the Sydney teams dominating the Big Bash this year. The Sydney Sixers at the moment, as we speak, January 1, 4-1 and one with 16 points. So all four of their wins, they've managed to maximise their bash boost points, if you want to call it that. They've got four points from, from every win, as far as I can read this table with my secret uh, beer-enthused uh, decodering to read the Big Bash table. <laughs> Sydney Thunder sitting second on 15 points, four and one, and are looking excellent. And we'll talk about them a little bit more later on. The Hobart Hurricanes, the team that I've got to go a long way in the tournament at four and two, uh, sitting in third place. Last night going down to the Perth Scorchers, that is the Adelaide Strikers, three and three on 13 points, having played six games. And then the Melbourne Stars, everyone's fancy team probably going into the tournament, you would say, at the moment, maybe not the sum of their parts. They're sitting in fifth in the final playoff spot, of course, a five-team playoff series in the Big Bash 10 edition. And then the Perth Scorchers, defending champions. No, they're not the Sydney Sixers, the defending champions. Perth Scorchers are in sixth spot, six points from their five games. They opened their account last night with a win against the Adelaide Strikers. My Brisbane Heat, uh, one and four, uh, after five games, they're on five points. And the Melbourne Renegades, probably the most disappointing team, I think, really, in terms of their list versus results. They're also one and four and four points sitting in eighth spot at the moment. What do you think it is about the Stars that's going on? Because, yeah, when we talked about we talked to David Hussey and we, we just talked about them in general and we thought huge, huge squad, fantastic lineup, but they're just not winning these games. I mean, I see they, they lost to the Thunder in quite a close game. Mm. Is it just that they've played some of their better teams? I think there's a little bit to do with the schedule. Obviously, the lack of games in Melbourne, and we'll talk about schedule a little bit um, before we come off the BBL, but they just are not quite the sum of their parts. If you look at both Sydney teams, they don't quite have that superstar name recognition in terms of the, the Melbourne Stars in particular, but they are playing like a unit, and we haven't seen the Melbourne Stars come together and play like a unit. They've had a little bit of niggling injuries and, and trying to fit in their um, overseas players who are coming in. Obviously, Nic Nicholas Perran hasn't really taken off, so there are some issues there, but I think they really just haven't gelled as a side, and when they do and they play at home, which they will in the back half of the tournament, I think you'll see them rise up the table a little bit, and I would expect Adelaide and Hobart to slide down a little bit into fourth and fifth. Border, you've been watching quite a lot of this because you've been guesting on the Cricket Budger podcast talking about the heats, um, well, turmoil so far mm. this season. Has the tournament really got going for you? Or do you think, you know, the fact that we've got this kind of COVID situation, the fact that it's sandwiched in between two IPLs, so there's some guys that have probably dodged the, the big bash who mm. wouldn't have done already. What, what's your take on, on the tournament? I mean, we think it's too long anyway, right? 
Yeah, it is. And what's really interesting at the moment is that the scheduling is kind of in chunks. So Perth haven't really played at home yet. They've played five games. They've managed to win one. But from January 4th to January 12th, they're going to play four games in the space of nine or ten days at home in Perth. So those teams are going to have to travel across the country. It's a five-hour flight from the East Coast to Perth, play cricket, and then come back. So that's a massive advantage that Perth haven't enjoyed over the course of the season. And that's part of the reason why they've been traditionally so strong, is that teams have to travel a long way to go and play cricket against them. To a lesser extent, the Brisbane Heat are in the same boat, and the Melbourne teams are in, are in the same boat too, I guess. The Brisbane Heat also play four games in 10 days uh, from January 3rd to January 10th or 12th. Um, I would expect them to split those games two and two if you have a look at their list, and, and that kind of slightly improves their season. Um, the Melbourne teams, again, they will play at home at the back end of the tournament. That's why I think the Melbourne Stars would rise up. I think the Melbourne Renegades, their season's pretty much done. I think they've got a bit of the same kind of feel that the Chennai Super Kings had. They're just a little bit off the pace at the moment. Speaking of scheduling... Uh, any? Do you think? Do you anticipate any changes to the scheduling with the COVID sparking up in Sydney? It's really difficult to say. I can't remember off the top of my head how many games are yet to be played in Sydney. I think we go to Brisbane and Perth for the next little while, and then there's some games played in Melbourne. At the moment, all three of those centres are reasonably okay as far as COVID is concerned. If that situation in North Sydney gets any worse, and if the inner western Sydney cluster that seems to have emerged in the last day or two gets any worse, I think that may start to impact cricket. I mean, given that the C, uh, the SCG is right in the middle of Sydney at Moore Park, it's not in either of those two hotspots at the moment, but that we know that COVID travels really, really fast. We've had a couple of cases pop up in Melbourne uh, in the last 24 hours as well. So if the governments of New South Wales and, and Victoria and their health systems can control those clusters, then we might be okay. Otherwise, we might see some venue changes and some um, evacuations like we saw uh, from uh, Melbourne and Adelaide a couple of weeks ago just after the Adelaide test. So who's caught your eye? Who's caught your eye betting, bowling, fielding? Well, Oliver Davies has caught my eye. He made his debut for the Sydney Thunder a couple of nights ago. He made 36 on debut and looked really likely. He bashed five sixes and five balls a couple of games later on his way to a 40-odd. Uh, he was one of the guys that Shane Bond talked up in his preview of the Sydney Thunder, and he looks like a real find for me. Uh, the other guy that I've been really impressed with, and admittedly I'm biased in this respect, is Tanvir Sanga. I watched him uh, last night and a couple of nights ago, um, ripped one past, I think it was Hilton Cartwright in the chase to uh, have him out stumped. Uh, and he's just bowled really, really well. He got two or three wickets. Chris Green got a couple of wickets as well. So those guys bowling in, in a spin partnership have impressed me a lot. And actually, that Sydney Thunder looks like a really well-drilled outfit, and that's why they're, they're playing well, even though if you have a look at them on paper, you know, uh, Kawaja, uh, Alex Hales, who's been fantastic at the top, and Callum Ferguson, and then not a lot of household names across the rest of the order. But they are playing very well as a unit and their senior guys are stepping up and we haven't seen that from the Stars or the Renegades at this point. Before you leave the Thunder, any New Zealand listeners uh, should be checking in on their games because Adam Milne, it's, it's been a real revelation seeing him back uh, and just charging in, uh, bowling nearly 150 clicks, kind of looking back to back to his best. And it's Absolutely. Been, it's been a long time. It's been sort of since the, the 2015 World Cup, really, mm. since I feel like he was kind of firing on all cylinders there. So, yeah, hopefully he can keep this up and kind of put himself back in the reckoning. Absolutely. He was bowling gas the other night, 150-plus, as you're saying. He's looking pretty good, pretty fit, and uh, let's hope that he can keep it going. So we'll move on to South Africa, Sri Lanka. So the first test of their series underway. Not very often you get nearly 400 in the first dig and, and lose so comprehensively, but 
bit of a topsy-turvy scorecard because they did score that 3-9-6 in the first innings at over four and over. They'd done it in, inside 100 overs. And mm. then obviously South Africa and Faf Duplessis uh, went pretty big with 199 um, to get 620. And then they, yeah, they rolled them over, didn't they? So... Yeah, I mean, injuries, the the real talking point there. And and I, I guess we talked about it a little bit in the past about when we talked about concussion, right? We talked about, well, you know, why don't these teams get to, to have a substitute when something like this happens where you get muscle injuries or, or things like that that actually, like, yes, probably, you know, you can't say it det- determined the game, but it certainly, you know, made life a lot easier for South Africa when mm. the two seam bowlers are, are taken out and all-rounder is taken out via injury. By day three, they were already down three players, Sri Lanka, and then and two more were kind of injured but not quite ruled out of the game by by then. And, I mean, you know, f- five players, that's half your team, and you, you can't really expect to compete in a test match when that kind of thing's going on. So, obviously, hopefully they'll, they'll be able to rectify that for the, the second test and we'll get a bit of a closer contest. It was quite interesting. Mickey Arthur did pick up on that point, talking about uh, he would have pay, pulled players out of the LPL uh, earlier and given them more time to to adjust to test cricket. That LPL, you know, we we were discussed it on the show. We said we didn't. Awesome. I didn't. I said I didn't think it was going to get up and running. It was the sixth time they tried it, um, and it feels like they kind of just slotted it in amongst all the other tournaments that were already going on. But uh, yeah, over to you, Michael. The two things that came out of me that are positives for this game were the fact that Quinton de Kock only got 18. And for a long, long time, everything has run through South African cricket in terms of Quinton de Kock's performance. They go as he goes. It was fantastic to see Faf get runs, but also guys who aren't, aren't in that white ball setup like Dean Elgar and Aiden, Aiden, Aiden Markram got runs, uh, Bavuma got 70, and um, Kishif Maharaj. So all of those guys that aren't in the white ball setup, aren't household names for South Africa, have stood up and took taken advantage of, admittedly, a depleted Sri Lankan side. So that's good from an overall South African cricket health perspective that they've got guys contributing to, to big totals and to wins. And I, I see Rabada's back into the squad as well. I think he's going to play in the... The next test, that's going to give them a huge boost. Huge boust. Yeah, but Boucher said he's not an automatic pick. I mean, I, I find that pretty hard to believe. I think if that's he, mind games. Yeah, if he if he uh, comes in, bowls a few in warm ups, and says, "Yeah, I'm right to go," um, I wouldn't want to be having that conversation with you. <laughs> no, 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 he's in. And is this a good time to talk about series lengths as well? Because this is another little two test series. We've yeah, we, we've obviously seen quite a lot of these and I think yeah it's it's proving to be a pretty a pretty uh, decent way to, to score some points isn't it winning a two test series 2-0 well it is but you've obviously got to win them that's the thing isn't it I've seen a lot of criticism around New Zealand's two test series and saying you know how how come New Zealand can kind of go up to the top of the rankings uh, and get themselves in the mix for this uh, world test championship final Whereas Australia and India are playing these longer series, and you know, let's say Australia or India, one of them wins the series three-one. New Zealand wins two tests two-nil. They get more points for that, and, and we talked about it with the Ashes and things. And um, it, it, I, I completely buy those agreements, and you know, that's kind of why we've all said that the Test Championship is a bit flawed. And I did a bit of looking into how you know how the Test uh, number of tests in each series is determined, and it looks like it's it's up to really the host nation and kind of uh, organising that and negotiating it with the team that's visiting. And I guess my question around that is, I feel like, is New Zealand cricket really in a position now where we should be pushing for longer series? Because if we, you know, potentially we go ahead and win this series 2-0, 
we will be the number one ranked side no matter what happens in that Australia uh, India series as far as I'm aware because uh, you know they're they're now one one so New Zealand would go ahead to the number one ranked test side I don't feel like it's a great look that we only play two test series and you know but is it New Zealand's responsibility to do that I don't know yeah the, the thing for me and we talked about this when this first got announced is that you've got a team, Bangladesh, only played 12 games in the Test Championship and you've got England um, at the other end of the spectrum play 21 games and then a whole heap in between. So you've got um, you know, India playing 17 games, New Zealand playing just 13 games in that series. Virat Kohli, I think, has got a big part to play in this. He has voiced his love of Test cricket and I think you've started to see that negotiation between the BCCI and other boards where it used to be, we want to play seven one-dayers and one test match. Mm. And I think probably with his influence, that's changing now. And they're actually playing a more balanced amount of test cricket on some of their tours. But yeah, ultimately, it's coming down to cash, isn't it? And if you're New Zealand cricket, you know, in a decent financial position, um, but still, you know, would want to get some money into the coffers, and India are coming over. What? How are you going to fix your schedule? You're absolutely going to schedule the one dayers um, that are going to pay the, you know, pay the bills. The other thing that we have to consider is this shortened sort of cycle of the World Chess Championship. Yeah. We have to get so many series in, mm. and the only really way to do that in an 80 month, two year period is to schedule for New Zealand, who can probably only realistically afford to host four or five tests over the course of their summer. They certainly can't have six or seven. You wouldn't think from why, a financial why, perspective. Why not why though? Not? Yeah. Well, the from, summer's the same length as any other country's summer, right? No, I, I, I understand that. But from the, from the perspective of having 20 days of test cricket versus 30, those extra 10 days of test cricket, there's an opportunity cost of not having those players play in high-earning one-day or 2020 matches. Mm. So it's not that they can't physically afford it, but the opportunity cost of not being able to play limited overs cricket, which is the money earner, is... The trade-off. I'd love to see New Zealand play three or four test series against India and and these other sides. That would be fantastic. The downside for New Zealand, as far as the World Test Championship goes, it's a lot harder to win three or four tests against the same opposition than it is to win two. I guess the the other side of that coin, or another point that we can make towards that, just following on from Binksy, is that one day cricket is now the the camel in the horse race. You've got Test cricket, you've got twenty twenty cricket which make more money than, than one-day cricket. And the, the the cost versus the, the reward they're getting for playing 2020 cricket versus one-day cricket is it's not even on the same graph. Mm. So, yeah, uh, that's something that you've got to consider. But you're right, it comes down to revenue at the end of the day. Mm. You know, we, we're talking, you, you can see there's been a massive change if you look at how New Zealand cricket is putting on uh, tours. When you go to the grounds now, all the all the signages from the country that, that's playing against us. We had the Pakistani stuff, the KFC with the West Indies. We had all the Indian sponsors at the start of the year. So New Zealand cricket is giving up a little bit of that rights. And we might see that we might start getting more tests out of it, might start getting more cricket out of it because we're, we're giving away a little bit of that sponsorship. Yeah, I mean, ho- hopefully, you know, me as a, as a bit of a purist wanting to see us play more test cricket, I think we, you know, especially now that we, we are performing well in test cricket, obviously that Australia tour, we'll just forget about that. But, you know, we have performed well. We are going to have uh, a tour coming up soon to India and we'll get to see how we compete in, the, in those conditions. But, yeah, I mean, I would love to do it, but I, I, I don't really understand 
that much the criticism because I also do feel like you're particularly hampered in a two-test series. If one gets rained out, you lose 60 points, you know? Mm. Like, it, mm. we, we've been very fortunate so far that we have been, managed to play all our games. But this, this is new, right? This is, this is version one of the oh, Test yeah. Championship. Yeah. And, and there was already, you know, stuff in the diary. So this yep. was a case of accommodating that into a, yep. an existing future tours and, schedule. And the format will get a tweak in the next edition. And, and none of this is the fault of New Zealand cricket. They haven't set out to play two Test Series so that they can win all of them at oh, home. No, this to, like, there this wasn't a dig at New Zealand. No, this no, was a dig at, at the two Test Series yeah. as, and, as a whole. And, and it's all culminated in the fact that New Zealand will play really well at home and get to play in the final at Lords potentially, which is a fantastic outcome because they've played bloody well over the last two or three years and probably deserve to be there in all honesty. Wouldn't want to be at Lords right now, but let's not go into that Yeah, well, either. that's true. Um, let's talk ICC teams of the decade. So I, I was just really surprised that the one-day team just wasn't the England team. But uh, <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, jo- jokes aside, a pretty well-balanced thing. But I know we have got a question. Should players that have been banned during that period uh, of a decade be included in those teams, as we saw with uh, Steve Smith, David Warner and Shakib Al-Hassan? So. Yeah, well, look, the point I wanted to raise around that is um, if you think of something like the Dally M Awards in the NRL, if you get suspended during the, the year, then you are ineligible for those awards. Twice. And I feel like... Uh, oh, suspended, t- twice. suspended twice. Okay. In the Brown, though, I think it's once. Yeah, well, the, and there you go. So th- those kind of awards, those things are, you know, factored in. And I, I don't necessarily... You know, I, I have... Stand by the fact that these guys have... You know, they've committed these crimes or, you know, whatever it is. Discrepancies against, uh, you know, fairness. And uh, <laughs> and they've gone ahead and, they, I mean, in all honesty, these, these things mean nothing, right? It's still, uh, it's just a piece of paper. It's, it's a cap, actually. And uh, Ben Stokes in a baggy green is a, yeah, a sight I thought I'd never see. Yeah, well, there you go. So, you know, it's not something anyone wants anyway. But, you know, I think it is an, and it is an honour to be named in those sides, and I think you do have to factor those things in slightly, right? Well, I mean, do we know what the criteria is for, for this? Is it Mate, I've, actually, I've actually looked at it. It's all on the ICC website. It runs to about 47 pages um, to actually figure out who voted for it, how it was sort of all put together. And then the makeups of the various teams and awards. So I, look, I don't think we should go into it, no. um, but a, a, quite a complicated um, process. I, I think the only answer is for us to obviously have a Rushmore conversation around our teams of the decade over the course of the next few weeks, and we'll, uh, yeah, we'll see whether we agree. Mm. Um, but for me, and I, I, I honestly can't believe I'm saying this, um, Warner and Smith have done their time. I, I think you know at the time that you know these awards have been announced, they're eligible for them. Um, uh, yeah, look, whether or not you think they should be in the side or not, um, for, on merit from a cricketing perspective, they you know they are, and I think they deserve to be um, on that basis. Well, look, I'm along, I'm thinking along the same lines as you, Binksy, which is which scary. New year, new me. But <laughs> I, I I actually don't have a a, a a harsh, serious point of view either way. But I think if they've done the you know they've, they've put the numbers up, they deserve to be there. Uh, they did, they did, you know. Oh, it's hard to argue with their actual <laughs> record, right? Well, yeah. so, so let's have a look at that. Warner, 7,244 runs at an average of 48.94. Stephen Smith, 7,050 runs at an average of 64 in, in this decade. So from the 1st of January 2011 to the 1st of January this year, I've got the 
dates slightly wrong in my last Both of them would have had a horrible loss of form in that year, though, wouldn't <laughs> they, that they, they were ineligible? It, interesting, interesting that they've both had really lean summers at yeah. some point and still managed to average 48 and 60. Yeah. But I take your point. If I'll try, and, I'll try to declare my bias openly here. Um, if, they, if Smith and Warner weren't Australian, I wouldn't bet for them as strongly as I'm about to. But having said that, if, if the criteria takes into account not just their statistical performances on the field, are they in the top six, seven run scorers, whatever, then I would say, on balance, there are other more deserving candidates. Kane Williamson is one. Um, Chiteshwa Pujara is, is another. Um, Cook led his team with aplomb um, and respectability and, and grace. Those guys that I have mentioned, Shakib you know, was um, convicted of a uh, 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 banned substances indiscretion from no, memory. Uh, met some met something to some do with something to oh, okay, that's right. Okay, so suspicion of yeah. suspicion of yeah. fixing. Yeah, so some kind of allegation of, of of impropriety in terms of matches. Okay, that should count against them in the overall picture. So if it's just on their on-field performance, in terms of runs scored, and whatnot, they should definitely be there. Mm. If not, they should not be there, and some other more deserving candidate should be. Yeah, look, it, it's. I, I don't think you're ever going to find the right answer, but I, I I did think it's interesting that in these other awards ceremonies like the Dallium, like the Brownlow, like you've mentioned, you just get ruled out for those kind of things. Yeah. And and the ICC obviously haven't done that. They haven't can they haven't done that. And you know when you run up those stats, it's hard to argue, particularly yeah. with Smith. I mean Smith's been named the the Test Player of the Decade. I should just you know for, for, forget the controversial stuff. We should just give a shout out to to Virat Kohli and Elise Perry who. Both won the you know men and, and women's player of the the decade, which is uh, a huge achievement. And Elise Perry particularly won um, both the ODI and T Twenty player. Uh, yeah, phenomenal. It's, it's a huge effort. And I mean, even the um, Kyle Kutsia and Catherine Bryce, uh, both from Scotland, won the um, the associate. Associates. The associates. Yeah. So, yeah, so very well done. And you you talked about all that spirit of cricket stuff. There was a separate award. Emmy Stoney actually won the the and spirit of cricket. and that's fair. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, so, I couldn't think of a more deserving candidate for that award in particular. Yeah, so I think it was based on on-field performances. So, you know, perhaps that wasn't taken into consideration. I, I, I kind of take the point that's been made, though, that I think there's probably a difference between the ball tampering piece and the match-fixing piece. You know, that that's the key for me. I, I think that that should potentially rule you out, whereas... Um, yeah, even a ill-conceived trip to Bunnings, you can probably um, <laughs> overlook when you're average sixty. I think I think you're going down the right track there. Where the indiscretion that they've committed, it might not be so bad. For example, if my doppelganger Usain Bolt, if they found out that <laughs> he was taking performance enhancing drugs, that strikes him out straight away, right? Uh, if they found out Steve Smith was using an extra wide bat for example, for the last decade. That's different, mm. I feel, to, to what we're talking about here. And I think that, I think the other thing to consider is that Smith & Warner's bans were imposed by Cricket Australia for a year. They weren't imposed by the ICC. They were banned for a, a couple of matches from memory, two or four or whatever, mm. but they weren't banned for 12 months. Shakib was banned for one year for his indiscretions, whereas Steve Smith and, and Warner were banned for a number of games and then Cricket Australia upped that to 12 months. There is a there is a disparity in, in terms of that, but like you say, there are, there are more deserving spirit of cricket candidates well look i can see across the table raj is itching for a swish um, and before this week in cricket turns into this month in cricket i think we probably should um, give this a little wrap up now we will be back after the break though to talk australia india and of course new zealand pakistan as well stay tuned
Welcome back. No better place to start, but what a response from India. How have they turned that around? What were our thoughts on that? Fantastic game of cricket. Oh, I mean, it, it's honestly incredible, I think, that they've done it so emphatically. I mean, you think about when, I mean, Baldy and I talked to, to Bharat Sundarais, and, and to be honest, when I was thinking about that interview, I was thinking, this series is done. Like, you can't really come back from, from 36 all out. I mean, even considering the fact that, you know, when you actually think about that test, they did kind of win five or six of those sessions. Mm. But I really thought the mental scars of, of what happened and just being skittled, you add that into Coley leaving, you add Shami leaving, they made four changes. Like, that just all was, it felt like that bowling attack from Australia was just going to be too formidable and it was going to be all over. But India responded and they responded in such a, dominant fashion and with such intent. I mean, Coley talked about all of that intent that was lacking uh, during that 36 all out. Mm. It was all there on show in that game and, and just the way that their spirit, like they were just up for the fight, you know, they were going back at Australia verbally. They were all celebrating everything. I just I just thought it was a, a phenomenal effort on their part. I think the the four players they brought in for that second test made a huge, huge impact. Jadeja, uh, the other bowler, Mohamed Siraj, Siraj. 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 on debut. So I, I think they made a, a massive, massive difference. But in saying that, I feel like India has played the better cricket for the majority of the time here. They played one session where Australia just completely pulled their pants down. And it's one of those things I was thinking about, you know, you're playing PlayStation and that happens to you and you just restart. <laughs> I feel like the best compliment I could give is if they restarted, I feel like it would be the exact same result. That's mm. how good Australia bowled in that, that yep. one session. Yeah, India have been fantastic. They really have. The The changes that they made gave them a massive change in their positive intent. They got off to a great start with Shubman Gill against the start that they got with Prufu Shaw. They were one for none in both tests, effectively, with Shaw uh, being dismissed early. Shubman Gill got them off to a great start. I thought the spin twins of, of Jadeja and Ashwin caused real trouble for the Australian batsmen and didn't allow them to get away um, after they'd seen off the opening bowlers if they were able to do that. Obviously, Burns wasn't twice, and we'll talk about the implications of that. But, you know, Siraj was excellent. Bumra was great, but I thought that the combination of, of Jadeja and Ashwin really tied the Australians down. Ashwin was able to get key wickets, Jadeja was able to do his job, and actually that combination for them, I thought, was the difference maker in terms of them being able to keep the pressure on the Australians and not let any of that middle order get away to any kind of positive start. In Australia, yet again, we've played four innings now, and we've only got to 200 once. We, play, we got to exactly 200 in the second innings, and... That is not good enough from that Australian top six. And, and I'd like to dive into why um, in a little bit. Yeah, you, you touched on the spin before, Ashwin. I mean, obviously, we, we'll we'll mention Rahani when we when we unpick you know his performances with the bat. But that was a really bold move to bring on spin so early and bring on Ashwin so early into the game. And what Ashwin's done in the series is he's picked up the key wickets, right? Yeah. He's come on and he's taken Smith. He's taken Labuschagne. He got he got the breakthrough in, in Wade when Wade was going. Mm. Like he hasn't necessarily picked up huge bags of wickets, but he's taken the important wickets. And, I mean, 
it's been a real delight for me as a, as a spinner watching this series and spin having such a big part in turning so early. Mm. Huge turn of a, him and Lion in various Lyon parts of that test. Lion on day one against Pajara in that first test was bowling incredibly well. Um, yeah. And he's he's been excellent as well, challenging the bat early on day one, day two of the test match, yeah. challenging both edges of the bat. All the spinners have been fantastic. Yeah, like you said, I think it feels a little bit like old-fashioned captaincy to me. And fair play to Rahane, you know, big shoes to fill. I know Coley's tweeted since that test victory and really given him um, some big ups. But he's kind of just emerged as a, a leader in that group, you know, more visibly, obviously, due to the fact that he's got the C next to his name. You just wonder whether or not with all the analysts around, they're trying to devise plans to get people like Steve Smith and Labuschagne out. And it's about, you know, bowl seventh stump for 14 overs and then maybe try and flick one off the hip pocket. And he's actually gone, nah, let's just give the spinner a whirl. And, and you know, maybe that little bit of gut feel um, has kind of come back into that um, team. But look, fantastic. And don't want to talk about the big mo, but I, momentum. I see um, I see India sort of being able to get on a little bit of a train here. The Australian top order, which we talked about in the preview, um, we'll come on to Burns. I know you want to come off the long run um, on that from a Queensland perspective, but that top order is, you know, looking even shakier than it did, you know, two or three weeks ago when we were talking about Pukowski and Warner and whether Wade was going to open and all those permutations as well. Just taking a step back from the cricketing context for a second, in whatever we do in life, if you're working in a team and you're managing a team or leading a team, you want to set that team up for the best chance of success that they can possibly have. And that has a couple of things that go along with it. Finding people that can work well together and having the right people play the right job or doing the right role. And I feel like in test cricket, and it's easy to say in hindsight, but we talked about this potentially this happening in the preview of the Australia-India series. The Australian selectors and the Australian team management have chosen to be loyal to Joe Burns over picking a guy who's in better form. And in away from the result, that's a fantastic attribute to have in your leadership and, and being part of a team. But the reality is that Australia carried three players into that, into that test series in their top six. They carried a guy who didn't have any runs or confidence, clearly didn't have any confidence coming into the series and couldn't find a way in the cauldron of test cricket to break out of his of his form slump. And that's really hard to do in test cricket. You know, it's not like the situation we had with Joe Root a little while ago who was making starts but couldn't go on. Henry Nichols went through a period where he was making starts but couldn't get 100 and finally did. This is a guy who couldn't get going, mm. couldn't get himself into the contest. And so he's paid the price for that. And he'll, he will go have to go back to shield cricket and make a number of hundreds to get himself back into the side. Australia also carried a guy who has never opened in first-class cricket before in his life. He's opened in short-form cricket, but that's a very different kettle of fish against an Indian attack that is uh, on par with the best of the world. So you're carrying two guys. And then you're carrying a 22-year-old, 21-year-old kid who's making his debut batting at six. And all of a sudden, it's four for 60, five for 80, and this is the kid that's got to dig you out of the poo and play the innings of his life to get Australia back into the contest. That's too much to ask for a guy who's 21, 22, as prodigiously talented as he is. So as wonderful as it is for Justin Langer and the Australian team to talk about loyalty and to talk about being part of a team and, and, and backing the incumbent, it was not the right decision to pick Joe Burns. And now they've finally paid the price for that and they've got to make a change. Hopefully Warner and Pukowski, one of the two will be fit. 
Otherwise, they have to go with Marcus Harris because they've dumped Joe Burns from the side as they've had to react to do. And in hindsight, they should have gone with someone else from the start, in my opinion. I'm surprised you've left head off that list. But but also, Matt Wade, he's probably in the top six batsmen in Australia at the moment. He is, absolutely. But he's not an opening batsman. The problem is they had to find somewhere to fit Matthew Wade in because of all of the permutations of the of the team that they wanted to play. So he's got to play out of position. So they're carrying him in that respect. You're absolutely right. The responsibility actually falls to three, four, five in that in that in that context. And Labuschagne, Smith, and Travis Head have not made enough runs in the first two tests that they needed to to pick up the slack from the guys who were struggling or were out of position or were brand new to test cricket. So you're absolutely right. Some of the responsibility has to fall on those guys' shoulders to put their big boy pants on and, and step up and play a long innings and to be the anchor that Australia needed to bat around. And none of them have been able to do that yet. I actually think at the moment that Matthew Wade is an edge ahead of Travis Head in terms of their current standing in my eyes in that test team. And all things being equal, if you had to choose between the two, I know they talk about Travis Head as being a future Australian captain, but at the moment he hasn't shown at test level Mm. that he has got it in him to be that guy who can dig Australia out of three for 20 and, and get 170 like Nichols did in, the, in that earlier test match against the West Indies. How much of an effect do you think David Warner said I, I will have on the on the batting lineup? I think we talked about this last time, Raj said he was massive for the, <laughs> mm. for the Australian team. Yeah, he did. And he's absolutely right. The And I think it was, I can't remember who it was, who said it's the intent of David Warner that makes the difference. It's not the fact that he averages 48 at the top of the order, but it is the fact that he takes on the opposition's best bowler and will go after him. And if he bats a session, a session and a half, he'll be 60 or 70 at the end of that yeah. uh, at the end of that period of time. And it takes the pressure off a guy like Joe Burns, who can get through 50 or 60 balls, and if he's 12 or 15, it doesn't really matter. But if you've got a guy at the other end having to manufacture shots like Matthew Wade had to do, it's a very, very different kettle of fish. So he'll make a massive difference to the Australian intent at the top of the order, that's I, for sure. I just wonder with the loyalty piece, I think Burns is, you know, he's not young, is he? He's nearly 32. He, he's had enough test matches, I think, to prove whether or not he's good enough. Maybe it was a case of if he goes back to shield cricket now, I don't want to be harsh, but that's probably career over. So it was to kind of give him that extra couple of games to see if he could get something going. It looked as if Wade was actually going to probably end his own career in a way by mm. ha- having to bat out of position. And he's probably got just enough credit in the bank, as Raj said now, to be classed in that um, top six. Mm. And the final thing I want to say, and I'm, I'm not trying to be controversial, I, I never do that. Um, <laughs> but if you look at Labuschagne, um, how many players have burst onto the scene and had that amazing first series or first year and then have you know had to go away. Joe Root's an example of that. He burst onto the scene, and then he had to go and play some county cricket because people worked him out. I'm not yep. saying that that's the case, but a lot of pressure on that three, four, five axis, where really only Smith is you know is the guy that you think you know form is temporary, class is absolutely permanent. Mm. You've got a potential situation where you know Labuschagne might you know have that little dip and need to go back and rediscover some form as well. There's absolutely the possibility of that happening, and the less you've got guys batting around him who are stable in the side and assured of their position, the more likely it is to play on his mind as a young cricketer. In terms of Joe Burns, he's got four test hundreds. He's good enough to play test cricket if he's in form. But he's one of those guys who, if he's not in form, it's 
quite obvious that he's that he's struggling and he does need to go back to shield cricket and get himself back into form and then I think he's good enough and he needs to bat with someone like a Warner like yep. you say to take that pressure off he absolutely. can't be going with another plodder at the top of the order absolutely it's, it's a completely different mindset betting at three and four with someone like David Warner in front of you versus uh, versus uh, Joe Burns and um Wade. Matthew Harris. Wade, Matthew yeah. Marcus Harris. What, what the, Marcus Harris. The thing, I, I, the other thing I was going to say, just on your point, Bixie, about about um, Joe Burns. I don't think he would have played had had they been had Will nah. Posky and David Warner being fit. I think you're right. So that 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 might rather than loyalty, it's almost like that was the. The, the hand was a little bit forced, forced in terms yeah. of in terms of the injury situation. You're absolutely right. I know we've been talking about loyalty, particularly in the New Zealand sense, uh, and and I guess with a lot of you know we've, we've raised it with England as well that that that's sort of the preferred method. But we just talked about how India it it was really bold to pick to just you know I know that two of those changes that they made were forced because Kohli went home and Shami was broke uh, had his fractured fractured arm, but to to make two changes is. These days is actually like quite a big call to make mm. to have four new guys, but it was absolutely the right call because, as you said before, it's the intent. They came in and they they immediately identified Prithvi Shaw is kind of done in the series, right? He's got, uh, he's got. He's been worked uh, out. Yeah, they worked him out, and I actually feel like Agarwal is the same. They Stark is just pinning him, and he's getting out in the same way. And you and it's the same with Burns, right? Mm. He was just getting out in the, the exact same, same way, way every single time. Agarwal has a massive technical flaw, which I'm not sure why no one is telling him. Yeah. Don't have your bat up by your ear. You've got to have it a lot lower in Australia, especially against those those fast bowlers. But I just want to ask a question. An answer to your question is they had a change of leadership there. Mm. You've said on the podcast before, Binksy, that Rahani loves loves his spinners. I think the last time he was captain, he bowled three spinners. Granted, that was in India. But uh, I think that was an interesting, different direction for the Indian team as a bowling unit. They, As you said, they had Ashwin bowling with the new ball, in the, in the the with the second new ball, mm. and bowling a lot earlier with a harder ball. So I think the massive change in captaincy has also helped there. Oh, yeah. And I mean, I don't know, Coley's had a... a there's been a, quite a bit of backlash I've seen, uh, you know, Indian fans kind of saying, ah, oh, Kohli, uh, and, and but I mean, I think they have to take a little step back there because Kohli's obviously an unbelievable cricketer, but it is something to think about with, you know, whether the, the, the captaincy is the best role for him. And, and I think that's something they will have to consider because we, you know, particularly in all three formats. Exactly. Yeah. And we've seen Sharma have um, great success in the, in the limited overs yeah. stuff. Um, but I mean, Bully, you want to add something? I was going to move on to Rahani's actual batting because that was well, unbelievable Well, just quickly as well. before we do, Rahane has got great form captaining against Australia. Um, he did it, I think, it's 2017-18 or 2018-19. I can't remember the year. Yep. But he captained India to a win there. I think tactically he's been excellent. I think oh, he's yeah. been really good captain. Not a demonstrative get-in-your-face-and-be-aggressive type of fella. Seems like a quite quiet guy. But tactically, very astute. Um, captains his side, leads from the front, do as I do, not as I say type of guy. Fantastic guy for India to have at this point in the series. Oh, and I mean, that innings that he played, you, you think about that in the context, uh, you know, of, of a normal game, 100 is obviously an excellent result, but you think about it in the context of the series and how runs have been so hard to come by mm. and how him and Jadeja just put that partnership and suddenly they were, they were way ahead in the game, even though, you know, the lead was not, in normal contexts, maybe unassailable. It has been in this series because both bowling attacks are just unbelievable attacks. Absolutely. 
And so, you know, I, Rahani, I've, I've saw it. I've seen people talk about it as, you know, one of the best Boxing Day hundreds ever from a um, from a, a travelling side in Australia. And, uh, you know, that that's pretty high praise. And, and, you know, from what I can see, excellent, excellent stuff. But we talked about all the drop catches uh, on India's side. Australia, what, what is going on in cricket that people just can't catch anymore? It's a weird one, isn't it? We've seen Jekyll and Hyde fielding in the IPL in the West Indies England series uh, when cricket resumed there was some real Jekyll and Hyde fielding there um, someone told me the other day that actually from a statistical perspective difficult outfield catches are up but all the other standards of catching particularly in the slip cordon are mm. down post covid or post march if you like is it global warming you reckon <laughs> could could be global warming just just to change subject really quickly and I've, this is actually a bit of a controversial one so you guys might need to shut me down but um Shami in the first test when India's 36 for nine and he retires hurt. What are your guys' thoughts on that? Oh, I mean, the guy's got a fractured arm. I can't can't hold it too much against him, but I don't think Neil Wagner would have retired hurt. Let's just put it that way. I actually think you've got a duty there to your team. 36 for nine as a hand. It's not even his top hand. Strap it onto the bat if you need to. 36 for nine. Yeah, look, I don't know the circumstances of the injury and the medical advice. It might have been a question of, we don't know how bad this is. We might be able to patch you up and get you back out on the park, but it's probably not a good idea for you to bat. Um, or we might want to get you into the next game. Um, if it was one of those ones where you know you're going to miss the next game, yeah, then potentially, yeah, have a neurofen and, and get back out there. If you're 36 for nine and need 41, I completely agree with you. But India were 36 for nine and Australia needed 80 to win or something like that at that point in the game. Him staying out there and India eking out another 10 or 12 runs in the context of the game may have made Australia chase 105, which might have been a little bit more tricky. Might have been. What do you reckon Australia would have got in that first innings if they had taken their catches, India? If Labuschagne was out in single figures, Tim Payne was out for 20, they might have only needed 100. That's true. Oh, look, all of that's true. I mean, we can what if about drop catches for hours and hours and hours. I think from India's perspective, 36 or 40 probably didn't make much difference. If he can't hold the bat, then he can't bat. And there's very few people in world cricket that come out um, severely injured. Rick McCosker comes to mind. He came out with a broken jaw taped Graham up Smith. to the eye- eyeballs. Graham Smith, very famously Malcolm and very Marsh, bravely. I think, came out once and batted one-handed. For yeah, the, yeah, so there are there are few that can. I, I don't why. think. Oh, yeah, there's been, there's been, there has been a lot of situations, yeah. Bert Sutcliffe as well mm. uh, is a very famous. One I just, I just think, I just think, you know, from a team perspective, I reckon that's that's a bit of a, a soft way out. Uh, on another, I mean, do we want to talk about this DRS, the controversy? I mean, there's been a lot let's said about it. About Otherwise, it. We yeah, can let's just... talk about it quickly and yeah, and, and then we'll move on to what everyone's waiting for the New Zealand uh, Pakistan series. But yeah, some DRS controversy, umpiring controversy, and there's there's lots about actually, isn't there? Um, I think in this little era that we're, we're going through with uh, on-field umpires and TV umpires all being home, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I don't know really what what to say more than, than what's been said. I mean, Tim Payne thinks he didn't hit it. it the I would say the video evidence is inconclusive. Does any, I mean, does anyone feel strongly that it was conclusive? I, I don't. I don't, but he's been given out yeah, by so, the umpire. 
and he's got to go. And the um, protocol was followed, which is that yep. there doesn't necessarily need to be, be both hot... RTS and hotspot. You yep. can go on. If there's a noise, if there, I mean, I can't remember if the noise exactly marries up to the ball passing the bat. Maybe it was a fraction but after. I can't remember. It's a fraction after, but and you can't you can't actually. But there is no frame that's right on the, the bat anyway. So yeah, how can so you tell? Hard. You know, it's, it's it's very difficult. St- stick him in the press conference when he's caught the catch behind and see what his view is, whether it's in or out. And you can say that about any cricketer. You know, you can say that yeah, about absolutely. any cricketer who's on the receiving end absolutely. or on the beneficial end. Not, you know? not, not, not just Australia. No, 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 absolutely, no. You're absolutely right, though. Um, the, the Where it's a problem is in the big bash. Mm. No DRS whatsoever. It's crazy. And it's been awful, hasn't it? Like and it, and it the umpiring has... hasn't, been, hasn't been spectacular and highlighted the need to remove a howler decision. If you're going to argue whether or not Tim Payne hit it and get all triggered and upset about that, DRS is not the solution for you. Yeah. The solution is for the problem that the Big Bash has and is what turning fans off is that that is a problem with the standard of umpiring or not maybe the standard of umpiring but the standard of decision-making that those guys are getting. The one that comes to mind is that the Brisbane Heat guy, uh, it might have been um, Tom Cooper, smashed it onto his pad, very, very big deviation, given out LBW, and he's got no recourse to review it because mm. there's no DRS in that, in that tournament. Well, but before we move, do move on to New Zealand, Pakistan. What are we thinking now for the rest of this series, right? Because yeah, as I said, went before this test, I was thinking, geez, it could be three, one, four, four nil, even Australia, because you know the implications of thirty six. Now it feels almost the opposite, you know, for for me anyway. It feels like Binks, you mentioned it before, the momentum. India has hugely got that momentum. Australia is now the one kind of chasing their tail, making changes. But actually, I I personally. If Warner comes back in, I think that swings the series, you know, back into at least 50-50 for me. Yeah, I think if Warner's 80%, um, he's got to play. Um, and to your point around Shami and the injury piece, I think if he's there or thereabouts, he's got to strap that hamstring up. It's hamstring, I think. Yep, um, yeah, It's uh, a bit different. Leagues are different, but if your arms, you can just strap the thing on. Haven't you seen a knight's tail? When Heath Ledger just <laughs> straps that fucking jousting... <laughs> that jousting thing to us up. Um, but David Warner, 100%. you got a Warner, Steve Smith, Manus Labuschagne. Someone's scoring 100 there every every innings. You know what I mean? Yeah. Makes a massive difference. I think, uh, are we asking for predictions? Sure. I think Australia win the next two. 2-2. Two, two. I said it at the start of the series. I'm sticking with it. 2-2. Two, two. Andrew have got another victory in them in, in either Sydney or Brisbane. Australia cannot continue to have the same kind of batting performances that we've had so far. Otherwise, heads will roll. I think the guys will step up, particularly if Warner comes back, and Australia will make a big score in one of these test matches and get over the line because their bowling attack will still continue to bowl India out. Yeah, I think the momentum's with India, so I'm, I'm going for them for this test match, I think. And I think, yeah, that, that spin axis that they've got going. Um, you know, um, home test um, for Nathan Lyon. Um, but the two spinners, I think Ashwin and Jadeja, really did a great job in that um, in that last game. Isn't Nathan Lyon the greatest of all time off spinner? He has been talking him up a lot. They have been, they have been, and and um, you know big that, pressure on him. Well, look, and and the Ashwin's really answered in this series, and and we talked about it a little bit with with Bharat. We and we we you know we've mentioned it just now about how great he's been, but he's been excellent, and and his performance, I think in particular, has kind of swung me back to, to as Baldi said, I, I think India's got another test win in them in this mm, absolutely. in this series, and um, the way they've bowled and, and stuff has been great, so I'll, I'll go 2-2 as well. Awesome. Well, in that segment, we've 
done to death the uh, Australia uh, India series, but it's been a fantastic series and a spectacle for us so far. We've got our episode title as well, which is yet yeah, strap it on and have a joust. Um, and we'll be back after the swish to talk New Zealand, Pakistan. Well, in the break, we were just talking about salad tossing, but um, from that, we're going to get into the cricket. New Zealand, Pakistan. So New Zealand's World Test Championship hopes are alive. Where, where do we start? It's got to be with Kane, probably, hasn't it? Although the president, treasurer and founder of the Neil Wagner fan club probably won't thank me for that. But yeah, we've got to start with Kane, right? I think we've got to start with how good is Test cricket, right? Because th- that, game was, that game was fantastic. I mean, at various times, it went pretty slow. Like, you know, both sides batted very slow and, and, you know, even, you know, well under two and over at, at times. But for a test match to go five all five days right down to the to the wire with five overs to go, probably uh, halfway through that day when Fawad and Rizwan were going, I actually started getting a bit worried and thinking Pakistan could have a real crack yep. at this. All four results were possible at lunch on the final day. All four results. Yeah. And, so, and you know, so... We just don't get that very often, and I think it, it was a, a fantastic advertisement for Test cricket, and obviously absolutely stoked as a New Zealander to come out on top. Yeah, we, we sounded like every commentary team in the world then, trying to keep viewers tuned in every result possible at lunchtime. <laughs> Hogwash, they'd have just had everyone out on the fence. But anyway, yeah, look, I, I could... I, I actually, possible. Po- possible. Possible, but improbable, shall we say. Improbables, but... Um, but yeah, to, to pick up on your point, Lippy, I, 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 you know, I was watching that session, Rizwan, um, and Fawad had just got to his 100, Rizwan had just got to his 50, and I went to do a couple of little jobs in the house. Came uh, Oscar, my, my, my son, said, oh, Dad, they're eight down, and I was like... And he's been getting me with some really good ones lately. <laughs> Um, like going down to the reserve at the end of the road and getting on a walkie-talkie and telling me he's lost the ball so that I need to go and find the ball. He said, oh, I haven't lost the ball, Dad. Just needed an extra fielder. So I, I, I've, <laughs> co- I've called bullshit on him on the eight wickets and then actually come in and looked at it and just could not, yeah, could not believe how quickly that game progressed. And I think, yeah, credit to New Zealand for holding in and just knowing that the game can accelerate when you, you, know, when you get that breakthrough, which they obviously did. It was it was great. It was one of those ones where if they had made it, Pakistan, you're just like fair play. You deserve that draw or the Absolutely. win if they had got there. Um, a bit of emotion around Farwood's hundred, twelve years apart, or something like that. Yeah, uh, they, they did a really good job, and the New Zealand bowlers did a really good job. Yeah. So you're right. It was just great Test cricket. Great to watch it. Yep, a great advertisement Test cricket. I mean, we and we saw it in, in Boxing Day in Australia as well. I think it's fantastic. I mean, back back to your point about Kane. I think we've we uh, what was so crazy about his innings and you know he he, get, he got the man of the match he's now number one world test ranked batsman it, it, it sort of felt like an afterthought you know it, it just it's starting to feel like I, I'd kind of forgotten by the end of the test because so much else went on that he scored 100 and kind of set up that whole game and put New Zealand in that position to win it's probably a reflection of just how amazing he's been and, and you know we talked about it last time he's playing a different game to everyone else but you know it just, it just carries on and, and it's superb. He was incredible on Boxing Day. I mean, I was lucky enough to be at the ground to watch that innings. He was in it one for none in the first over when um, Shaheen Shahafridi managed to sneak Tom Latham off to third slip. And I thought, oh, here we go. You know, Pakistan are going to have their tail up here and this is going to be a really difficult first hour. And it was. You know, they dismissed Blundell and all of a sudden New Zealand two for spit and Taylor and, and Williamson were in. But then we were treated to the classic New Zealand cricketing experience. Taylor and Williamson batting through a couple of sessions, Taylor being positive, he was 25 off 30 at one point, 
But, you know, Pakistan were disciplined, but New Zealand were excellent. And and Kane Williamson just played the perfect Kane Williamson day one innings. 94 not out at stumps. Wasn't bothered about getting 100 at, by, by stumps. He knew that he could come back tomorrow and, and, and cash in, and he did. And he's just a fantastic cricketer. And I will look back with really fond memories of, of being able to watch him bat throughout a day at the Bay Oval, which is a tremendous test venue, by the way. Kudos to the Bay Oval for putting on a, a really successful test match. We've got to talk about Wagner, haven't we? And I think we'll start with a clip uh, from the day three press conference where the great man was asked about um, his broken toes and, and going through the pain barrier for the Black Caps. It's everything. I think you know, I do take a lot of pride in, in something like that. Um, but it, it comes down to a team. Um, there's still a way of contributing for them. Um, finding a do a role, I wouldn't be wanting to sit on the side with my foot up and, and watching the boys doing the hard work out there and, and I can't be there to help out. I feel I'll be left out, I'll have a bit of FOMO, but um, yeah, I feel it just wouldn't be fair and would be right. Yeah, injuries happen and it's unlucky, but I can still walk, I can still do things and run and you know, it's not gonna stop me. It's, it's sore and it's bloody uncomfortable, but it's just one of those things you gotta deal with, I guess. And I still felt that, you know, I don't wanna let my teammates down and just wanna uh, obviously try and find a way of contributing to the team, I guess. And uh, I mean, test matches don't come easy. Um, playing for your country is never is anything you can take for granted. Um, I know how bloody hard I had to work to, to get where I am now. I'm sure as hell not going to sit on the side and watch other people do it. I want to be part of it and, and, and play my part. And um, yeah, unless they carry me off of a stretcher, I'm going to try and do everything I can, I guess. And, that, and I mean, that, that's it, right? That, that spirit that he has is why he's so beloved here in New Zealand. I mean, you know, even there... I want to do everything for my country. You know, people talk about how he's born in South Africa, but he's obviously felt, you know, very united to this New Zealand cause and this New Zealand spirit. And, you know, I think I think when we're talking about New Zealand, we could look at this whole lineup, right, throughout the whole summer and almost say positive things about almost every single player. And I, and I think that's, that's a real credit to how they've built that. And Wagner is the absolute example of that. And in saying that, the, the real credit to him is, I never thought he wouldn't bowl, you know, like right from the start, as soon as he was injured, as soon as you knew that his toes were broken, I just felt he'll bowl because that's the kind of player he's shown himself to be. And said he wanted to play in the next test as well. The the medicos have disagreed with him and it looks like he's going to be out for five or six um, weeks and um, Matt Henry's come into the squad for this next test at Hagley. But yeah, I mean, what an effort because... Look, I've never bowled particularly quick. You know, I've obviously nudged 80 mile an hour on occasions, a little bit of in-swing. Um, but uh, <laughs> but the, the, the rigours that that puts through your body, and you just saw him bowl those kind of warm-up balls um, and kind of his wincing, and then absolutely just charges in and stamps that foot down on, you know, what's akin to concrete. Yeah. Fair play. Just absolute man-mountain. Yeah, I, I saw a, a tear in Baldy's eye when Wagner was talking there. But uh, I don't think... It's a hard one when you think about how many overs he bowled on that last day. Mm. Quality overs. If he didn't bowl those overs, mm. where do they come from? Where does the energy come from for that last session for the New Zealand bowlers to take those wickets? And an effort like that lifts the other guys in the side. Because if you look at Neil Wagner and he's busting, literally busting his body to pieces to, to do the job for your team, if you're Southie and Bolt, you're thinking, hang on, I've got to find an extra gear here. Let's go. You know, I've got to do something a little bit special. Kyle Jamison, the same. Mitchell Santner, the same. You can't let a guy like that 
down by not putting in 110%. Well, and the guys coming in as well. So Henry comes in for this game. There's nothing self-serving about that comment from Wagner either. He just wants to go through the wall. He's not worried that someone comes in and takes his place. That's not where that's coming from. Mm. That is just his absolute desire to be on the park. But that message is going to be heard loud and clear by Matt Henry, by Jameson. And they're, they're going to know that they're going to have to absolutely bowl their socks off um, if they you know if they don't want him to come straight back in the minute those uh, those toes are fixed absolutely and but that's the role he's played for New Zealand for for throughout his whole career right we've had Bolton Southie and we talked about how wonderful they've been as an opening pair and, and as a combination and Southie just got his 300th wicket he's been absolutely unbelievable over the last three years he's got 92 wickets at under under 22 I think it's actually amazing, but given that, you know, it, it's various points we've kind of thought maybe he was, you know, on the way out or, or the, the person who was closest to on the way out of that bowling attack. But whenever there's any trouble for New Zealand, whenever we just can't take a wicket, it, it's always Wagner. It, always Wagner is the person we turn to. We turn to him to try and manufacture a wicket by running in and bowling short and doing something. We turn to him to bowl 11 over spell non, you know, on the bounce with two broken toes. You know, like that's just the kind of things he's been doing for, for throughout his whole career for New Zealand. And, you know, I mean, I think we could talk about him for a long, long time about all the amazing things he's done, but it, it really is top class and it, it's put him up there. And that's why he's got that respect all around the world. Right. Mm. Yeah. Lippy and Baldy, can I ask you a question um, relating to spin? Santner obviously took the final wicket in the game and I think a bold call for him to be bowling Very that, bold from Kane. that late in the game. How do you guys think he actually went, though, as a spinner in New Zealand conditions across the course of the match, taking you know, the fact that he's got the, you know, the, the winning wicket um, out of the equation? Oh, I have some thoughts. I'm, I'm keen to hear what you think first, though, Baldy. He, he absolutely gets a pass mark, for sure. 100% he gets a pass mark. He hasn't bowled New Zealand to victory by taking four or five wickets and going bang, 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 bang to roll through the tail at the back end of the test match, but he has done his job for New Zealand. Ideally, we would love to have conditions where the spinner will, will, will rag the ball and turn it square and, and create problems for the batsman because of the conditions of the wicket and the state of the game, but the reality is that New Zealand's attack and the conditions that they play in at home are not set up for that kind of contribution. The best way that Mitchell Santner can win test matches for New Zealand, and we have to remember that against England last last year or the yeah. year before, yeah. he won the test match for New Zealand with the bat. He made 100, he allowed BJ Watling to get 200, I think, in a big partnership, and took that game away from England. Took three for... Yep, and, and took some wickets as well. So contributions from Mitchell Santner require him to bowl really, really tight, and, and on occasion, he's able to do that. And I think in this on this occasion, he was able to do that reasonably well, I, th I think. Um, on the whole, there were there were periods at which the batsmen were able to get on top of him. But that's kind of who he is as a, as a Red Bull bowler. Um, is, is he as good as Dan Vittori? No, no, he's not. But he is a serviceable member of that New Zealand side. Ideally, a lot of his detractors would like to see him perform at that Dan Vittori level, but he's not that guy, so we, we can't compare him to that. I thought he had a reasonable test match. Ideally, I'd love to, for him to take some more wickets, but he, he did a job for them, I think, on that final day. I, I tend to agree with s some of your points, and I, I, I guess the counter that I have is, would we have been in that position if Mitchell Santner could have acted like a day five spinner? If he could have come in and bowled, 
uh, e- even just a holding role, which I don't think he did especially well through the middle there. Yeah, that's it, probably fair. It, if in he could have come in and bowled doing that role and we could have rotated our four seamers around, would they have been would they have struggled so much to take those other wickets? And and I you know, we'll never know the answer to that question. But I, I you know, I, I think that Wagner's injury gave them an opportunity to think about considering bringing Ajaz in and bringing Daryl Mitchell back in as the all-rounder and actually having a spit, a proper spin option. Because you mentioned it there, Mitchell Santner is, is not a red ball spinner in terms of, we, like, we can't expect him to be Daniel Vittori because he's not Daniel Vittori at first-class level. He doesn't, you know, he, mm. he's not a prolific wicket-taker right. at first-class level. You're right. And, and, and if you want a prolific wicket-taker... Mitchell Santner is not your man. Yeah. If you want a guy to try and bowl wicket-taking deliveries in in bulk and in amongst all the other stuff, then you've got to look at a guy like Ish Sodi. You've got to look at a, a different type of cricketer who is much more prepared to take risks in terms of trying to find a wicket. And that's just not Mitchell Santner's game. His advantage is that he's a really good batter in, in Red Bull format and can do the job at number seven or eight for New Zealand. Ajaz can't do that. Ish Sodi can't do that. So if you want that, I think New Zealand should go for it. Absolutely they should. Um, and they should be brave enough to back their top six or seven to be able to do that and pick a uh, pick a frontline spinner if that's the way that they want to go for the next test. Parts of your point there, back your top six, back back your bottom four, and you've got your spinner there. That With the lineup we've got, with the makeup of our side, our balance of our side, that is that is what we're after. What Mitch Setner has delivered in that test match mm. is what we're after. Probably a little few more runs, but what, what more can we ask from from that position or that role? Yeah, I think in this particular test match, you can't say that he's not delivered. I think you add 70 or 80 runs onto Pakistan's first innings total, he's only bowled six overs. Um, I think the key to being a test spinner is you've got to be able to bowl 15 overs on a first day pitch. Um and keep your side in the game. And whether or not, you know, his six overs, uh, no wickets for 17, you know, pretty decent economy rate across that, um, you know, goes far enough. That's the thing. And then you've got to then be able to do the damage on the fifth day. Um, you know, even in New Zealand, it's going to offer a little bit on that fifth day. And I, I just don't know whether he's going to do that consistently enough and whether or not you, you then do want your your Sodi um, in, in the side. Fair criticism, but you've got to remember, he's their fifth bowler, right? So would you expect Daryl Mitchell to bowl any more than six or seven overs on, on day one? Would you expect him to take all the wickets on day five? You probably wouldn't, if that's the role that he's playing. If he's picked as the fourth bowler, and he has to do that role because you're not picking Jamison and, and Wagner, then then absolutely. But in, in his role as a fifth bowler and, and batting option at seven, I think he's done an adequate job for New Zealand over the course of his career. Sure, we'd love him to be better, but I think that, not at this table, but the people who've been highly critical of Mitchell Santner are not cognizant of the role that he's required to play and the conditions that he's required to play under. Yeah, and I think that's that's it, right? In this test, he's absolutely done his role. What I worry about is that they go, okay, you've done your role now. You are in the. You are our test spinner for. You know, we're, we've only got one more test, and he is going to play. Yeah. Well, if he's either going to play, or, you, you or we're not going so, to play yeah. a spinner in that test, then then you know, Ajaz is not in that squad. Mm. But yeah, I, I guess that's my worry that we go, much like we did in Australia for that first test, and we went, okay, you got a hundred, you got three wickets against England, you'll now play as our test spinner in Australia. When he was never going to be able to do 
what we needed him to do on the Australian pitches when it turns and bounces a little bit more. And that's fair. He's not going to take six for nine against India in India. Like that's that's probably not the the future for him. As a spinner in New Zealand, Neil Wagner's gone down. There's a spot that's opened up. How do you feel about them bringing another seamer into the squad rather than bringing a a spinner? Well, we we're never going to pick two two spinners. Um, oh, they could play Mitchell. Yeah, well, that that's the thing. They they could have they could have used it as an opportunity to pick Ajaz and bring Ajaz back. I do wonder, you know, how this New Zealand lineup would have looked if Ajaz had been fit for the the whole summer. It's mm. been really unfortunate for him, obviously, just getting that contract and then you know have being injured for the whole start of the Plunkett Shield and only just coming back now and playing the last couple of games um, for CD in the in the Super Smash. So. Yeah, I think, but I do think, given you know, given the situation and given the lack of cricket that he's had, it's it's probably the right call. You know, we'll see in 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 a few days about how it's all going to unfold. But yeah, I think going going forward, we're going to have to find something right because we've got tours coming up to the subcontinent in uh, a very so- very soon. You know, so we're going to have to figure out our options. From Santna to Saudi. The New Zealand James Anderson, his record's just getting better and better with age, isn't it? So past three years from 2018, 18 tests, 92 wickets at uh, 22 and took his 300th pole um, in this game. So, yeah, what a performance from him as well. Yeah, it's, it's you know, as I said, it's it's the kind of performance from a New Zealand side where we can look up and down the, the roster and go, well done, you know, Every single player, you know, Blundell, Latham, they, they got fifties in the second, you know, fifties in the second innings. You've got guys who got runs in the first innings. They're they're all just contributing, and and that's you know that's why they've they've been such a successful side at home this mm. summer. And I, I think it's probably worth you know we touched on Pakistan's performance in this game. Farwad, you mentioned before how he had twelve years since his last Test hundred, which was on on debut, I believe. He's had ten years out of the side. I don't think he would have played if if Barbara Azam had been fit. Maybe you know Shadab as well. If if those guys had been fit, he probably wouldn't have played. But play, really excellent performance from him. Mm. Uh, the guy I want to shout out is actually um, Charlie Shaheen. The the main obviously he bowled well, but the the thing I want to actually shout out to him about is that they could have used that um, concussion substitute. Mm. On that in that final session of the last day, I don't know what the like for like replacement for for Pakistan was, but uh, from the commentary, I had to look it up uh, who they were talking about, and uh, I can't remember the name of the fella, but he averages twenty five in Test cricket, mm. so he's someone who could hold the willow, and they could mm. easily have substituted that person in, and and who knows what could happen? They could have been a draw, but um, huge shout out. They were he he was obviously in some discomfort. You could see it, and um, he. He manned up and he he batted out the day. I well, thought he bowled really well to too. I, th- I thought he bowled really really well and put put Pakistan in the game on day one on a wicket that ultimately didn't do a lot over the course of the day. It was it was slow batting and, and a disciplined performance. But I thought the Pakistan seamers led by Charlie Shaheen were excellent on on the on the pitch on day one. I thought he was good. Yep, he was. He was bowling at my end too. I was really enjoying watching him bowl. I really was. The the Michael Baldwin end, is that? The The end that I was sitting at, yes. It was my end for the day because I was owning the spot that I was in. It was very very As much as I love this Charlie Shaheen and I'm fully on board with with this name, it it does mean it's disappointing that I don't get to hear you say Shaheen Shah Afridi about (laughs) 16,000 times on the podcast. It's... We're already an hour and seven now. I, if I said his full name every time I wanted to mention him, we'd be two and a half hours. I, I want to give out to, a shout-out to Fahim Ashraf. 
Um, I liked what we saw from him in that T20. We watched yep. him at Eden Park. He made 30, looked lively with the ball. I thought he was a fantastic contributor for Pakistan in that first test. I think he's got a long test career, and he looks he looks lively with bat and ball. I think he looks really capable. Yep, and Rizwan was one much the same. You know, excellent in that in that T20 stuff. Absolutely. And then you know he he was excellent going back to when he was over in England uh, for that series. Yeah, I you know Pakistan have offered a lot. I think, and yep, they've shown a like. lot in in both the, the back end of the T20s and in this first test. And, you know, they're going to be a challenging side in the second test, especially if Baba comes in. So we've talked about the, uh, you know, the nucleus of the Pakistan bowling attack for a while. Do we think that there's going to be a time where there'll just be a, a switch that flicks and they're just going to start rolling teams when, they, when, they're, when they're away? Because at the moment they've had a few goes and they haven't really made that, dents. But that's been that's been the question for Pakistan's bowling attack ever since Wasim and Wakar retired, right? They've they've always got they've always always got one or two guys, and in this side I think they've got two in Nasim Shah and and Shaheen Sharafri that are brimming with potential. And if they can realise that potential, they will be superstars of world cricket. The trouble for Pakistan is that they can never get the guys in the system long enough, playing cricket at a higher level for long enough, that they realise that potential. If they do, then look out, because they're going to have two superstar bowlers ably backed up by a Mohammad Abbas or a Fahim or, or Wahab Riaz or whoever to support them, but they've got to keep those guys growing and realising their potential under good captaincy. Yeah, and I think they're at that point as a cricket board and as a cricketing nation. We've had uh, Wasim Khan, who's the CEO of Pakistan Cricket, on the podcast. So, yep. you know, go back and have a listen to that because he goes into a bit of detail. They've put in a first-class structure that's hopefully going to support that player development and identification piece. They've also got a pretty decent backroom staff. Yep. You know, you kind of just look as the uh, as the camera goes oh, yeah. across. The balcony wakar has been... Um, involved, you know, they've got Misbah involved, they've got Eunice Khan as a batting coach um, involved, he's just writing note after note after note as, as he goes through Sponsored so, by Big Barrows, I think Yeah, <laughs> absolutely, so look, I think they've got that sort of structure now, you feel and, like they do, and right? the professionalism and the fitness, and um, I know we've bemoaned the quality of fielding in general, but their fielding has on the whole improved over yeah. a period of time um, and yeah, they've they've got a, a decent leadership group as well. Really like the look of Rizwan. Um, mm. You know, really, you know, really sort of adds to that, um, adds to that side. So uh, yeah, absolutely. But I, I suppose predictions. Do we give them any chance coming into this game at um, at Hagley? Uh, I I I think they'll challenge us again. I think it'll be you know there's there's a chance that it's a a very similar sort of test that we have to work very hard. But I would still back us to win, it, just the way that New Zealand is going. You know, we, we've been mm. such a strong side for the whole time, and uh, I, I think you know we've got a lot to play for. I mean, you mentioned the, the Test Championship before. As much as being a New Zealander, I love watching Australia lose. That actually hurt us a lot in the Test Championship. Australia not beating India. Uh, there's, there's millions of permutations that you know, as you said, we've already gone very long in this podcast. We're not going to go into right now, but it, it did hurt us a lot. We really wanted Australia to kind of route India in that series, and um, but you know we, we we keep ourselves alive with a win, mm. uh, and with so much to play for. I just hope we get five days of, of cricket, much the same, and, and I, I would back New Zealand to win. Can they win the second test, Raj? I think they can. I don't know what the, what kind of pitch. It's usually quite flat, Hagley. Yeah, I, I would expect that it'll be you know much the same as as Bay Oval in terms of you know a test that could last five days, and that we won't 
you know, maybe it will be a little bit green on that first day and mm. it'll be the same standard New Zealand thing that everyone will go, oh, look, they're playing on the outfield and then it'll play but okay they, after the, the first hour. They've all played really well. Yeah. yeah. Like everyone talks about how green they are, but actually all three wickets, New Zealand have been sent in three times and made 400 three times. So ironic really because grass is green. It is. Yeah. But, and and <laughs> lots of grass on the wicket, 17 mils of grass in, on the, in the Wellington wicket or whatever it was. They all play pretty well. They mm. all play pretty well. So are we going to win again, Baldy? Yeah, I think I think New Zealand will win. I think Pakistan, like you say, will challenge New Zealand. I hope for the sake of the test match as a whole that Pakistan land a few punches on day one of that test match, either with the bat or the ball, and make it a really interesting test and make New Zealand work very hard for their victory. Ultimately, I think New Zealand will win because up and down New Zealand have 11, 10.5 world-class players in that cricket side. Who's the half? Santner's the half. Santner is not Lyon, Ashwin you know, that level of, of world-class spinner. That's not his fault. But the rest of them are all world-class players. All of them are at top two or three in the world in their discipline in that area. So I think I think Wagner, you know, Wagner disappearing actually is, you know, we've obviously talked about how great he is, but Henry's certainly not got the test record to anywhere near him. He averages 50 in, with the ball in, in test cricket. And, uh, yeah, I think that, that kind of... Some possibly surprised a few people, and uh, you know, yeah, it's it's actually quite harsh on him. Have you seen who he's played though? And he has. He's played some pretty good he's teams. Played some very good teams. He's obviously been unfortunate to come in kind of uh, in those times when you know when we've had someone injured, mm. and you know he's never quite been the the top of the tree here to to play. But yeah, I, you know, I, I do wonder if he's almost on you know last chance saloon with with his uh, with him being next cab off the rank, right? And mm. it's it's incredibly unfortunate. For Lockie Ferguson that he suffered this injury because I think this would have been the perfect, perfect opportunity to, to have go him in there. But, Bang, Lockie, here you but go. But hey, in, over the summer, everyone who New Zealand have brought into their white ball or their red ball side have performed outstandingly well. Mm-hmm. I have I have no doubt that Matt Henry can take the next step up and play a really good role for New Zealand in this test match. He won't have to win the test on his own. You know, It's not that kind of situation where he's asked to lead the attack, but he's got a job to do, and he'll fit in alongside Jamison, and he'll fit alongside Bolt and Southie, and he'll do a job for New Zealand. I think he'll give a good account of himself. Yeah, look, for me, I think New Zealand have just got too much class, probably. Um, if you play this game 100 times, uh, they probably win it 90. Um, but I do give Pakistan a chance because they've got that class and that talent in their side. And, and like you say, Baldy, um, you know, win the toss, have a little bowl if it's going to nibble around a little bit first morning. They've got the ability to, to, to knock New Zealand over, um, I think, once. Um, have they got the ability to put the runs on the board? That You know, that's the biggest thing, uh, the biggest thing for me. So, yeah, my... Uh, um, I, I want to say that they've got a chance, but I, I, would, I would say that New Zealand should yeah, take the spoils. And just before we wrap up the podcast, we do need to give a shout out to Ross Taylor, who on Boxing Day became the most capped black cap ever for New Zealand. So congratulations to Ross Taylor, a huge achievement. Um, not only is he now the most capped black cap, but he's played 100 tests, 100 ODIs and 100 T20s for New Zealand. So that's a huge achievement for a very likeable character and a wonderful stalwart for New Zealand cricket. So well done him. And and, we, and given your own shout outs, shout out to everyone who listened to us in, in 2020. I mean, obviously pretty uncomfortable year for, for a lot of people, but um, you know, we've had an absolute blast bringing this to you and, and uh, yeah, really appreciate you all listening. So uh, bring on 2021. Awesome. And if you do have any suggestions, please feel free to get in touch via our website, 
thetoporderpodcast.com. Send us some suggestions for episodes, argue with Lippy, uh, Raj, or anyone else who speaks in the third person. Um, but for now, we are going to wrap the show up because we are uh, yeah, a little bit late for bed here in Auckland on Sunday night. Um, it's not even Sunday night, it's Christmas. Who knows what day it is? Um, but we'll be back next week in your podcast feed. See you soon. Good night. Good bless. <laughs>